Okay, let's, well, Greg's just prayed, but let's pray that we would hear God speak to us right now. Father, I want to pray that you would calm every heart. I pray, God, that you'd remove every distraction. I ask that you'd silence every voice, that we would hear your voice only. This is not about Don preaching. This is about God speaking. So, Father, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so it's, it's New Year's Day. We've just come back from holiday, and I'm, I'm busy catching up with my sister. We're sending WhatsApp messages, and then I sent her this story that I had just come across that really broke my heart. But a family of six uh, Zimbabweans traveling to Zim for the holidays, their buck is involved in a head-on collision with a truck. Mom, dad, four kids perish on the spot. And then the conversation quickly moves to the unimaginable grief of the mother who lost four kids in the Boxburg tragedy. When a tanker that was carrying, if you haven't heard the news, a tanker carrying liquid petroleum gas, LPG, explodes because it got stuck under a bridge. And then my sister, in that conversation, she links that story to another story of a friend of hers who had reached out to her desperate for emotional support because her daughter had just passed away from chronic pancreatitis. She was 13. And I ended that conversation and just said, there's so much pain in the world. There's so much suffering. How do you navigate through that? And I remember every, every year when you, know, you start the new year, you start, you're hopeful and you're excited. You know, it's a fresh start. You make plans and you're looking forward to a great year. But if you're anything like me, there's a little bit of trepidation because you have no idea what awaits for you down the road. I'm very hopeful for a life that is fulfilling, that is satisfying, but I'm also unaware of what lies ahead of me. Could be problems with health, loss of income, losing a job, can't find a job, perhaps you have to wind down your business for whatever reason, broken relationship, failed marriage, struggling at school, a victim of crime. You have to ask the question, why is life so hard? Why do we suffer so much? Why do we have to endure so much? That's one question. But the other question is, how then do we navigate a life that seems to be guaranteed of suffering? My hope is that the Bible will give us the answer this morning. Turn with me to the book of Romans and verse, or rather chapter 8, because that is where we've been for the last few Sundays in our series. If God is for us, that's the verse. Who can be against us? 
Okay, so I am picking up from where Apindile left last week, and I am reading from verse 17. 16 rather, actually. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So we are children of God. We are heirs. In other words, there is an inheritance that awaits us. We are co-heirs with Christ. What belongs to Him belongs to to us, belongs to me, if you're a believer. I really like that. It's the kind of stuff I want to hear. But there's a clause that's here that seems to spoil everything. Provided we suffer with him. I really don't like that bit. Why is it there? Why is my inheritance tied to suffering? Well, let's read on. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, for, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those first two verses, 17 and 18, tell us three things about suffering. One, it is guaranteed. It is present, life only. It's temporary. And then thirdly, it doesn't compare to our inheritance. But I'm keen to understand why is suffering guaranteed for me and why is it linked to my inheritance? You know, Paul starts off and then he says, creation seems to be the problem. The problem of suffering has to do with the problem in creation. 
He says creation was subjected to futility. What does that even mean? It means that creation will never reach its intended purpose in this life. And the one who subjected it is God. And because he's the one who created it and has subjected it, he's the only one that can reverse that. Well, you have to ask the question, well, why was creation subjected? It was because of sin. There in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed against God, and God brought a curse upon his creation. Now, you could be forgiven for asking, well, why would a good, loving God curse his own creation? The question you should be asking is, why would created beings be disobeying a sovereign God and expect to get away with it? Sin against God is treason of the highest order. And so because of the sin of Adam, as Scripture puts it, the sin of Adam, through that, death and decay entered all of creation. And that is why today everything is flawed, everything dies, everything fails to live up to its fullest potential. Death and decay has entered. It's why you and I die. It's why the human body is always moving towards weakness and death. It's because creation has been subjected to futility. And so suffering is a reminder, it is a signpost to the horror of disobeying a sovereign, holy, and a perfectly righteous God. You suffer because of sin. Now, I'm not saying that the suffering in all of creation is because of your sin. You have suffered as a result of Adam and his sin. Because sin entered the whole world. And then through that, death entered creation. But you do suffer at times the consequences of your own personal sin. And sometimes, unfortunately, it is because of the sin of others against us. But Paul says that it is temporary because it's only in this present life. And creation seems to be waiting, longing for a future age when it will be set free from the bondage to creation. And Paul says that creation waits for the revelation of the sons of God, the sons and the daughters of God. And so the future of creation is tied to our future. A time is coming when the sons and the daughters of God will be revealed. And that will set in motion a series of events that culminate in a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Creation will be made right, but it is tied to our future as well. You know, we go about as believers, if you're sitting here and you're a believer, we go about life and sometimes people haven't got a clue that we're believers. You walk down the road, no one really knows that you're a believer unless you tell them. And sometimes people come to know that we're believers through acts of kindness that they experience through us. But on this day, 
When the signs and the daughters of God are revealed, there will be no doubt as to who's who. Because what will be revealed is nothing like what your mind has ever perceived or what your eyes have ever laid eyes on. You know, creation, Paul says here, creation is like a woman in the pains of childbirth. He likens to that. Now, I'm male, clearly, and so I've never experienced childbirth. But I'm told that the closer a woman gets to delivery, the more intense the birth pains become. And not only that, not only do they increase in intensity, but the time between the pains becomes shorter and shorter. Meaning that delivery and birth is imminent. So it is in creation. So much calamity all around us. So much suffering, so much pain, the intensity seems to be increasing. And there's less and less time between calamities and suffering. And so whilst the, the world is thinking that everything is falling apart. As far as God is concerned, everything is coming together. Building up to this great event when the children of God will be revealed. But it's not just creation that's groaning. Even we are groaning. Believers are groaning in pain and suffering. And it's not just because life is hard. Even sin, that habit that you can't shake off, is a form of suffering that you endure in this body. Don't ever be fooled into thinking that believers do not suffer. There are certain pockets of a form of Christianity that says that suffering is not for believers. That if you're not suffering, you don't have enough faith or there is sin in your life. Paul says even we, like creation, are groaning. And he almost likens the, the, the birth pains of creation to, to us. And he says, we have the first fruits. Of the Spirit. It's almost like we are pregnant with the things of God. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a deposit. There's a guarantee. You know, recently we, we were looking for a new car to replace an old car, and we found one. And when everything just started rolling, the salesman said to me, Hey, Don, can you just like put something down? You don't have to put your, your whole deposit. Just put like a little 2,000 rands deposit to show that, you know, so I can get back to my colleague and say, hey, this car is spoken for. There's someone who's interested. To show intent. And so God has shown intent by giving us his Holy Spirit. The deposit, the guarantee of what is to come. But why is it that we are groaning. Paul writes further in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What tent is he talking about? He's talking about this physical body. It's temporary. Tents are never permanent. And then he refers to a building from God. Buildings are permanent. And so we are waiting for something that is permanent. Our heavenly dwelling. Our resurrected bodies. What Paul calls the redemption of our bodies. The word redemption in the Bible is significant. It's usually tied to the, the freeing of slaves. And so even though our spirit has been liberated, as Dave preached the first week, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirits of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Our spirit has been liberated, but the body is still trapped in sin. And so we groan and we're burdened to be liberated. And this is what Paul promises or what God promises through the writings of Paul when he says that we are waiting for our glorification is to receive the resurrected body. One of Jesus' apostles, John, he writes in his letters where he says, Beloved, we are God's children. He's agreeing with Paul. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Like who? Like Christ. Because we shall see him as he is. When will the sons and the daughters of God be revealed? When Christ appears. Just think about that. We shall see him as he is. And we shall be like him. A resurrected body, transitioning from the mortal body to the immortal. The perishable becoming the imperishable for all of eternity. This is the hope. This is the reason why you came to faith. It was the hope of eternal life. It was the hope of being forgiven of your sin and spending all of eternity with Christ it's the reason why you put your faith in Jesus, promised of a life that is free from suffering, free from pain, from sorrow, from disease, from sin. And even though you do not see it now, yet you look forward to it, you hope for it. And when you hope for what you do not see, what do we call that? We call that faith. Hebrews chapter, one, chapter 11 verse 1. And then Paul moves on and then he says, now, this hope here, it's a living hope. It's not like a worldly hope where you hope something will happen, but there's no guarantee that it's ever going to happen. I mean, I could say, you know what, I hope that by the end of January, load shedding will be a thing of the past. 
there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. Why? Because systems and people are flawed and they cannot deliver. I'm not saying that they can't do it, but I cannot put my hopes on people that are fallible, on systems that are flawed, that are part and parcel of a creation that has been caught up in its corruption and its decay. But our hope is a living hope. It's not a hope for tomorrow. It's a hope that stretches into eternity. And then Paul says, likewise, or in the same way, and I'm assuming he's saying, in the same way that hope sustains us, the living hope sustains us, the Holy Spirit is also sustaining us. He has been given to us as a helper. He helps us in our weakness. What weakness? It is not a physical weakness that is due to hard toil of life. It's a spiritual weakness because he says he helps us in our prayers. He helps us when we know not what to pray for. It's not that we are not praying. It's not that we don't know how to pray. It's not the method of prayer. It's the content of your prayer. He says that there's, there's a weakness there. And he comes and he, he prays and he intercedes for the saints. So your weakness is exposed in your prayer life. I felt very convicted by this. Now that weakness can be, can, can, can be seen in one of two ways. Either we, I don't want to say we're praying for the wrong things, I want to say we're probably not praying for the right things. And often when we go through suffering and pain, we're asking God to take it away, to remove it. We're also praying and asking God to ensure our comfort and safety. Now, I'm not saying we cannot be praying for people, especially like things like healing. We, we pray in faith. But perhaps God is actually just letting that run through because there's a greater purpose that he's working on. That's one way. But there's times when the, the, the tragedy or the pain or the suffering is so intense but actually, you have no words for it. You find yourself, you cannot even utter a prayer. There are no words. Either it's your own suffering or the suffering of a fellow believer. But deep down inside, there is agony. There's distress. There's groaning. And the Holy Spirit comes and he takes that groaning and then he translates it and presents it before the Father as he's interceding for you. Just think about that. That the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf before the Father. There have been times that I've said to somebody, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. And I probably do pray once or twice. And then they come back to me months and said, hey, Don, thanks for your prayers. God came through. And I'm like, yeesh. <laughs> I kind of forgot. But here's one who never forgets. Who never sleeps nor slumbers. Is constantly interceding for you. Creation is groaning. 
to be set free. We are groaning to be set free. The Spirit is groaning for you to persevere to the very end. So what is the purpose of suffering in this life? I am persuaded by reading that I'm persuaded that it is to increase the longing for future glory. We go through suffering to increase and to intensify our longing to be with Christ. At this stage, as I was writing my, my sermon, <clears throat> I sort of stopped and I, I needed to walk away because I felt really convicted by what I felt God speaking to me about. The link between the Holy Spirit and our longing for future glory. Here's the thing. The depth of your fellowship with the Holy Spirit will determine the intensity of your longing for heaven. If the Holy Spirit is a deposit of the inheritance, your experience of this deposit will determine your longing for the full inheritance. If your experience of the deposit is weak, is boring, is ordinary, your expectation and your longing for the full inheritance will also be weak. I'll give you an analogy. It's poor, but it, it gets close. I've watched a lot of movie trailers. There are some trailers that I've watched and I thought, my goodness, I need to watch this movie. This looks like an incredible movie. And then there are other trailers I watch and I'm like, that just looks like boring. I don't need to watch that. And so in a way, if your fellowship with the Holy Spirit kind of feels like a boring trailer to a movie, your expectation to want to watch that movie will also be very weak. The end result is that this present life then has a grip on our hearts. We ought to be a people that are saying to God, like Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We should be a people that can say to God, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with you keeping me here for whatever reasons that you need me here. But God, I am ready to go. But it's dependent on how you're experiencing the deposit of the Holy Spirit. It's so important. And so we persevere towards our future glory because we have a helper in the Holy Spirit. And if he's praying in accordance with the will of the Father, you've got to ask, so what is he praying for? Paul moves on. He says, all things work together for good for those that are called according to the purposes of God. So I believe the Spirit of God is praying that all things will work together in your life. But he goes beyond that. He goes, and I believe he's praying that you would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he has predestined people to do. 
to be, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now you would ask, well, if one day I'm going to go and I'm going to be like Christ, I'm going to have a resurrected body, I'm going to be like him, what's the point of being conformed to his image now? Why not just get taken and go to heaven straight? Because being conformed to the image of Christ brings glory to God in this life. It glorifies God, brings praise, it brings worship, it brings honor. Not only that, but Christ-likeness is attractive. Because God is still in the business of calling people. You and I, if you're a believer, you are the living evidence. You are the living exhibit of Christ to a nation and a city and a world that thinks everything is falling apart. But have you noticed that when Paul talks about this, he's, he, he makes it very clear that the Spirit of God is not interceding for everyone. All things are not working together for everyone. He makes a clear distinction for those that love God, for those that are called, that are justified, that will be glorified. So for those that do not love God, all things are not working together for good. All who are saints, he calls them. So it's working together for, you, you, you need to belong to the, the those group. Those who are called, justified, sanctified. That's what being conformed to the image of Christ is. You're being sanctified and then you will be glorified. This is what they call the redemption plan of God. Some people call this the, the golden chain of salvation. Now, this is a verse that causes a lot of controversy. And I'm not, I don't have time to get into that today. I don't have time to talk about the doctrine of election and predestination. What I am saying is that this is the redemption plan of God. It's a plan that God had before the creation of the world. To know that he would save the world, to know that he would save people by sending his son Jesus Christ to reverse the curse on creation. To send his son Jesus to be a substitute sacrifice. One who would die on a cross and pave the way for forgiveness. And so Christ comes as a substitute sacrifice, absorbing, taking the full wrath of God, the just wrath of God. It is on the basis of the cross, the most monumental event in the history of mankind. It is on that basis that God calls men and women to himself. And he calls in various ways. Whether it was someone who has spoken to you at the office or in your family, told you about Jesus Christ, or as I am doing now here, proclaiming the good news of salvation. But there's an external call, and then there's an internal call of God. Where you recognize the wretchedness of your sin and your incapability of saving yourself from God's wrath. And your heart is made aware of its desperate need 
for a savior. You respond to that call. You put your faith in Christ. And the Bible says then you're justified. In other words, you're declared not guilty. You're acquitted. Once guilty before God, acquitted. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but justification comes with you being adopted into the family of God. And you become a partaker of the, the covenants and the promises of God. And then now, the, the, the Spirit of God is working in your heart, conforming you, transforming you from one degree of glory to another into Christ-likeness. And then, at the very end, you're glorified. You receive the perfect resurrected body, free from pain, free from suffering, free from sorrow for all of eternity. If you're a believer, you know this. You know you've been called. You know you've been justified. There's been an assurance of the righteousness of Christ being given to you. You know you're being transformed. You're being conformed to the image of Christ, Christ-likeness. Previous desires replaced, new desires. You used to have a hatred for God, but now you love God, you love the people of God. That is being conformed to the image of Christ. If all of that has happened to you and you're aware of it, there's nothing to suggest that the redemption plan of God can fail at the last stage. Glorification. It will happen you will experience the freedom that we're currently groaning for now. And so we persevere through the sufferings of this life because we are certain of the completion of God's redemptive plan. I want to leave you with what I would call a spiritual audit. You can do it in your own time. You can do it together as a growth group. But ask yourself a few questions. Like, if they were to play a video of my life for the last three months up here on a Sunday, would they be able to tell who and what I'm living for? Would people be able to tell where my hope is? Is it in the things of this world? Is it in Christ? Ask yourself this question. How can I deepen my fellowship with the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to tell you. You know why? Because He's a person. And you can speak to Him. How can I deepen my fellowship with the Holy Spirit in 2023? And given that Paul was talking about prayer, a very helpful question to ask at the beginning of the year is, How, what needs to change in my prayer life? No doubt the Holy Spirit can help you, particularly where you have no words. But I think it's a good place to start. What needs to change in my prayer life? I've been asking myself those questions. 
have that conversation with the Holy Spirit because He longs for a deeper walk with you. We've termed this series, What Can Be Against Us. The more I've read this chapter, the more I've realized, actually, it probably should be life in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is the one who carries us through to the very end. Let's stand.